golf. And we're just going to run out of time if we keep up this pace. So we're going to try to pick it up a bit. Take your time. It's a rainy day. Uh, how many of you like cliffhangers? Okay, some people, some people you don't know, you don't like them. Uh, do you like to, you like them? You like to read books and you like for them to end with sort of this, what, what happened? No? Well, Woodhead Publishing writes this about cliffhangers. It says, cliffhangers are devices used, and just so you know, I need this kind of stuff. You probably know this, you've been around long enough. I'm not a great English guy. You probably hear it when it comes out and the way I speak. Um, so I like to look things up and learn things all the time and then also use them as an introduction. So cliffhangers are devices used to add suspense and anticipation by adding a plot twist into a plot line. Cliffhangers occur at the end of chapters or even at the end of books. This is done intentionally, presenting a complicating event or plot twist that is left unresolved. Cliffhangers increase reader engagement with the material by making readers wonder what will come next. So, I don't mind a good cliffhanger in a book as long as it comes at the end of a chapter where I can just sort of flip the page and then begin to figure out what actually happened next. I don't like them when they come at the end of a book, and I especially don't like cliffhangers that come at the end of a movie that says, to be continued. And then I especially don't like when they come at the end of a movie, let's say, and then you, you can't watch the next movie until the next year. And that's if everything goes as planned and then they release it. I just don't like to wait. I don't like to have to wonder about what actually happened or what's going to happen. I just kind of like to start something and finish it all in one sitting, or if I'm reading a book, eventually get to the end of that thing, and then not have to think about it again so I can move on to something else. That's how my mind works. But I share all this with you because this book, the book of Jonah, ends with a cliffhanger. It ends with God speaking to Jonah and asking him a couple of questions to which we don't ever get Jonah's response. Instead, we're left wondering what he did and how he responded to God. And probably more importantly for us today, we're left with us trying to figure out how he would have answered God, and probably even more importantly, because this is God speaking to us through his word, is how would we answer these questions? that God is asking to Jonah. So let me read the final chapter. Now, we're only going to look at verses 5 through 11, but I want to read the full chapter. It's not that long. So Jonah chapter 4 says this, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, if you're new to the series here, what displeased Jonah exceedingly was the fact that the Ninevites had repented 
of their evil and wicked ways. And when God saw it, all you got to do is look at the verse ahead of that one. When God saw that they repented, God relented of the disaster that he was going to bring upon them. And so he didn't bring his judgment upon them. Instead, he allowed for them to live. He allowed, well, actually, he saved them. And so Jonah saw it. Jonah was displeased. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah then went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, you take this word and you sow it into our hearts. And Lord, we ask that you would, by the power of your spirit, soften our hearts. Lord, that you would help us to lean into what you're saying. That we might hear what you're saying throughout this text. That, Lord, you would take these questions that you ask Jonah and you would turn them towards us and you'd help us to ponder them, to think about them, to consider them. That, Lord, we might grow in our faith this morning. Lord, we love you. We love that you speak to us. And so, Lord, help us hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this section of scripture, we're going to see how God met a disappointed and discouraged Jonah. And if you notice, I I titled the message, The Miserable Prophet, because that's kind of what he's doing or how he's acting at this moment at the end of this book. He's just miserable. He, He doesn't like life. He doesn't like what he sees. He doesn't like where he thinks it's going. But in this section, we see a good and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Again, pursue Jonah and help Jonah to see just how amazing God's grace really is. 
and at the same time helping Jonah to sort of uproot some of his self-centeredness and his own self-righteousness that he might apply that grace to his own life as well. And so we're going to kind of see these truths emerge throughout this last section of this book by looking at four parts this morning. And in the first part, what we see is that Jonah went out of the city to sit and watch over the city. So after Jonah was exceedingly displeased with the Ninevites' repentance and God's grace extended to them, forgiving them instead of killing them, in verse 5 we see that Jonah then went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So Jonah was not happy. Jonah was actually angry, and in his anger, he withdraws from the city, away from the city, but not so far away from the city so that he never found out what was happening in the city. Instead, he sort of, in his self-centered, self-righteous mindset, went up and found himself a nice spot where he could overlook the city and just kind of see what, what would happen to the city. Was there repentance genuine? Would God really forgive them and not destroy them after 40 days. And so he's bitter. He's displeased. He's angry. I want you to put yourself in Jonah's shoes for a moment. If you're Jonah, you you don't like the Ninevites. There's nothing good about them. There's there's nothing that you can come up with and say, yeah, I'd like to hang out with them just for a moment because they they kind of, they might have a good quality about them. They were were miserable, evil, wicked people doing a lot of harm to Jonah and Jonah's people or God's people, the Israelites. They they were evil. They sought to conquer the people of God. They, They weren't your friends at all. They mocked you. They persecuted you. They sought to hurt you every chance They got, and they didn't worship God. They didn't live their life the way that you lived your life. They they didn't acknowledge God in any way. They worshiped a lot of false gods, but not your God. But God, being rich in mercy and grace, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, instead of killing the Ninevites for their wickedness, he saved them. He allowed for them to live. And if you were Jonah, all you wanted, what we've seen throughout this book, all you've wanted is for God to judge them. All you've really wanted is for God to really wipe them from the face of the earth. Because if that were to happen, then they would get what they deserved. And life would be easier for Jonah and the Israelites. But instead, they're alive. Instead, life was good for the Ninevites. But life was not good for Jonah. In fact, he couldn't find one good thing about all that had happened to all the people in Nineveh. He he couldn't rejoice in the grace of God being extended to them. So instead of being thankful to God, we find him angry. We find him bitter. We find him centered on self. We find him miserable. And so he withdrew from the city 
And he found himself this nice little spot where he could sit and watch over the people of Nineveh to see what would become of them. Now, based upon all that we know about Jonah from this book, I think we have to assume that that he was hoping that as he sat there and he paid attention and just kind of watched over this city, and he, he already knew that God had relented from the disaster that he was going to do to them. I just have to assume that that Jonah's kind of hoping that their repentance wasn't really real. And so he's sitting watching over this city, maybe hoping that they would mess up again. And then then God wouldn't be so slow to anger, but instead would just wipe that city from the face of the earth. And so he's just watching, hoping that they would be destroyed. See, Jonah was not in a good place of faith, wasn't really trusting in the grace of God, and he for sure wasn't rejoicing in the grace of God being extended to the Ninevites for their salvation. He was just angry. He couldn't understand for the life of him how God could be good, gracious, and holy and save these wicked, evil people, which makes the second part of this story a little bit surprising. Part number two, the Lord graciously comforted Jonah. As Jonah sat outside the city in the scorching heat of the desert, enduring all the discomforts of the elements, the Lord moved towards him. The Lord moved towards him. Verse six, it says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plans. You know, we we were singing this morning, and we were singing, Come and see what the Lord has done. And I I love that line, Chris. Thanks for lingering on that line, helping us just to stay there. I'm just wanting to see the Lord sending his son, Jesus. And in my mind, I just start thinking sometimes, and just thinking that that's throughout the pages of Scripture where The Lord is doing amazing things. And it obviously culminates in the sending of his son and then the killing of his son on a cross. But I would say, this is one of those moments. Come and see what the Lord has done. You have a miserable prophet. Self-righteous, self-centered, not happy with what God is doing with the Ninevites. And he's just sort of arrogantly looking over at them, hoping that they still might die. And, and he's in his sin, doesn't quite see it. And, and God is gracious with him. God causes this plant to grow up and comfort Jonah. Jonah tells us that the Lord appointed a plant to grow up over him so that he might receive some relief from the scorching desert sun. This is your God. He's merciful and he's gracious. He's not treating Jonah the way his sins deserve to be treated. He caused this plant to grow up and this is a miracle. Plants don't really grow like that in the desert. So quickly, I'm not a guy who messes around a lot with growing things, but last year I I asked for a bonsai plant for Christmas. It's hard to come up with things. I don't know why I was just looking at things and I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to give that a shot. And so I got this bonsai kit 
There's a bunch of all these little trees, but they're all in seeds, because that was the other thing I thought I wanted to do. I'm going to challenge myself here. I'm going to get one, and I'm going to have to grow it from a seed. And so I got this kit, and it comes with a bunch of these seeds, and it tells me exactly what I was supposed to do. And I followed the instructions, exactly how you're supposed to do it. And I, I saved some seeds, actually, just in case it didn't work. And so I did it. Well, guess how many plants grew up for me? One. Come on, Ricardo. Not that bad. Anyways, I, I have a tree growing in my house, and it's been growing for a year. I did exactly what you were supposed to do. I planted that seed in the stuff they told me to plant it in. I transferred it when I was supposed to transfer it. I've cut back a little bit from the things that have grown up. I'm doing this, but it's not this. It's like this. So I just say that to say it, it takes a while for things to grow, right? even in the best environments. But here we have this plant that got appointed and it grew up literally in a moment's time to such a degree that the shade covered Jonah and it relieved him. It brought some comfort to him. And this is really just another illustration of God's grace. God giving to Jonah something that he doesn't necessarily deserve, but God so loved Jonah, he continues to go after him. And instead of being angry with God, this is the surprising part, now maybe not so surprising, but Jonah's attitude changed. He went from being exceedingly displeased with what God was doing with the Ninevites to all of a sudden getting a little something from God to being exceedingly glad. When God's grace shows up in our lives, isn't it amazing? And by grace, I just mean his undeserved favor, his, his blessings to people who don't really deserve it. And the truth is that happens to us each and every day, but we see it here in Jonah's life. But, but when it happens in your life, doesn't that make you happy? Isn't it great to receive God's blessings, small and large, in those moments when we need them most? especially when we don't deserve them. I think it's amazing that God's so kind to Jonah here. Despite his little pity party that he's throwing outside of the city. See, what Jonah should have been doing, Jonah should have been inside that city. He should have been discipling those people. He should have been cheering them on. Watching the grace of God change evil and wicked people. Rejoicing with them that they get to breathe another breath. But he wasn't. Despite his unfaithfulness, God was still faithful. And to me, that's what makes grace so amazing. So where do you see God's kindness in your life today? Where do you see his mercy and his grace at work in your life today? What's he doing that makes you happy? God was so good to Jonah that he continued to go deeper in helping Jonah. He wasn't there just to kind of provide some shade for him. God had something that he was doing. He was going after Jonah's heart. He wanted to see Jonah's grace not just for himself, but he wanted to see God's grace in such a way that he might respond differently next time the Ninevites show up. This leads us to part three. The Lord graciously took away Jonah's comfort. God was gracious to provide Jonah with some shade, but his plan was to eventually take that shade away. 
Verse 7, he says, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than live. See what you have here? You have God appointing this plant to grow up and comfort Jonah. And then all of a sudden that just changes the next day. And and God appointed a worm to destroy that plant. And then he appointed this, this wind to make him faint. The word appointed here comes up throughout the book of Jonah. Jonah and it's, it's meant to teach us that our God is sovereign. It's meant to help us see that, that we have a good and gracious God that doesn't just give us these blessings, but he's also at work in the hard things in our life. And so we've seen it when, when God appointed this, this great wind that stopped Jonah from running. God hurled that wind at Jonah and that ship to stop him. God did that. That, that wind wasn't by chance. And then when Jonah was thrown overboard... And he was sinking in the sea. It tells us in the book of Jonah that God appointed a great fish. See, that great fish didn't show up at just the right time because it just happened to be swimming by and see Jonah struggling. God was the one at work there. God was the one that appointed that great fish to go to that place at the right time to accomplish his good purposes in Jonah's life. God was at work. That was God's doing. And we see it here. He appointed the plant to comfort Jonah. He appointed the worm to destroy the plant. He appointed the scorching wind to take away Jonah's comfort. The outward circumstances of Jonah's life were sovereignly appointed by God. What I'm going to say is, and so are ours. So are ours. Richard Phillips in his commentary says the following. He says, the lesson is that it is always God with whom we have to do as he sovereignly appoints even the little details of our lives. I'll say that again. The lesson is that it is always God with whom we have to do as he sovereignly appoints even the little details of our lives. What he's saying at here is God is ruling and reigning over all things. Everything. Absolutely everything in this world. Absolutely everything in our lives. He's always at work and he's always in charge of everything that happens in this world and in our lives. He's always, this is the thing I love when I think about God's sovereignty because I wrestle with this. I wrestle with his providence. But the way in which I think about it is we have a wise God, perfect in all of his ways. And so when I wrestle with the sovereignty of God, I'm reminded of truths like this. He's always doing the right thing at the right time with the right amount of resources or with the right amount of effort to always accomplish his good purposes in this world. And especially for the good of those who love him. We may not always understand it. We may not always 
get to the bottom of the mystery of like, well, why, why throw them into the water and have them sink and then send a great fish? That's, there's different ways you could have done it. That's where I wrestle with the providence of God is, is there's probably a million different ways in which you can accomplish that same thing, but God chose to do it this way. And then I'm left to wrestle with, but I'm not God. And you're not either. You're not ultimately in charge. You didn't create all of this. He did. And he did it in his wisdom. And he always does the right thing at the right time with the right amount of effort and the right amount of resources. And it may not be the way you put it in your planner, but it's perfect. And so he appoints this plant and then he appoints this worm and he appoints this scorching east wind to accomplish his good purposes in Jonah's life. See, God loved Jonah a lot enough not to leave him in his self-righteousness and spiritual pride to comfort him and then take that comfort from him so that he might see more of who God is. That he might respond rightly to who God really is. See, Jonah was only happy. He was only happy with God's grace when he was the recipient of it. And benefited from it. And because of this, he was riding this emotional and spiritual roller coaster. He was happy when he was getting those good gifts from God, but he wasn't happy when those good gifts from God were being given to his enemies. He even came to the point where he just wanted to die. Jonah was self centered instead of being gospel centered. Grace was only amazing to him when it made his life better. Self-centered, and I would say self-righteous people are like this. They're happy when they get what they want, but they're angry when they don't. They love God when things are going well for them, but begin to resent him when life gets hard. They find it difficult to counter the joy when they meet various trials. Instead, these trials that they meet end up being a source for them to grumble and complain against God and others. That's, that's what Jonah's doing here. Grumbling and complaining about the grace of God at work in other people's lives because he can't see God's grace at work in their life. He's self-centered. He's looking at everything from his own perspective, but God's helping him. Self-centered and self-righteous people forget that God is the one who's always in control, ruling and reigning over all things for our good. Nothing in this life happens to us without it going through the hands of God first. And that's meant to comfort us. God's hand is at work in everything we experience. And it all has a good purpose for those who love him. The Apostle Paul, writing in the book of Romans, said it like this. Romans 8, 28, he said, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so that's what we see happening to Jonah here. Well, why this and then this and then this? Well, the reason is because God's at work in all of it. 
God's at work saving the men on that ship. So he used Jonah's disobedience to get them to a place where they cry out to God to save them, and God saves them. Chapter 2. He uses Jonah to send Jonah to the Ninevites and he saves those wicked people and he's not done. He's doing all those great and amazing things and he's at work in this prophet's heart as well. Our God's that big. He's that great. He's that amazing. He's always accomplishing his good purposes in this world. And he's after Jonah's heart. He's helping Jonah to see just how amazing his grace truly is. And this leads us to the fourth and final part of the story, the cliffhanger. The Lord questioned Jonah. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes. Can you imagine this? Having a conversation with God and God asked you this question. And, but you're just so angry. You're just so self-centered. You, you can't see it. Do you, do you do well to be angry for this plant, Jonah? And he just says, yes, I do. I do well to be angry, so angry that I want to die. So consumed with himself and not getting what he wanted that he told God that he was angry enough to die. I think we all know what that feels like to get angry, right? Where you just, you lose self-control. You say things you don't really mean or you do mean at the time, but, but you just, you're just giving yourself to the flesh at that moment. And so that's Jonah. He couldn't live in a world that didn't give him what he wanted and what he felt like he needed. And so if he couldn't get what he wanted from God or what he felt like he needed from God, what he was saying to God is, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I don't like what you're doing. I don't like how you're doing it. Therefore, just take me. Take me from this place right now. But again, we have a good and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Because he doesn't take Jonah's life. Instead, he spoke to him. He challenged him in his wrong thinking. And he left him with this probing question to consider. Verse 10 and 11, he says, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. I love that last part. There's a lot of people there, 120,000 people, and there's some cattle. It's a lot of things I've created there, Jonah. A lot of things I've placed there, Jonah. Jonah pitied the plant to which he had nothing to do with. This is how God's grace works. This is how we've got to think about God's grace. It's favor given to us or to those who don't deserve it. Jonah didn't plant a seed and water that seed and work the ground, pray for that thing to grow up, but it just was there. He did nothing to make it grow. But he was so angry when it was taken away from him that he was willing to die for it. If Jonah could pity something like this so much, what God was saying to him was, shouldn't I be able to pity and be merciful and gracious to the Ninevites? See, he created those people. Created everything. Created all those cattle. 
that sit inside that great city. God, God appointed those people to be in that city. Those are God's creation. They were created in the image of God after his likeness. They, they were far greater than a simple little plant. Should not the temporal and eternal well-being of the people of Nineveh be of interest to Jonah as it was to God? That's kind of the probing question here. Should not God, the creator of all things, the giver of life and salvation, be able to save whomever he chooses? Is it not a good thing that God chooses to save the lost and wicked people of this world? God is asking this question to Jonah to help him really understand who God is and what his grace actually means. In closing, I want to ask us a few questions. Six. They're going to be quick. Number one, and all that we've read and all that we've gone through in Jonah, number one is, do you really love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or, do you just love the things that God gives to you? Or does for you? I'm not going to answer these for us. I think we've got to wrestle with this. Number two. Do you recognize that you are not in charge of ruling and reigning over this world? But God is. Maybe add to that. And are you willing to submit your life to him and his plans? Number three. Do you count it a joy when you meet various trials, knowing that it is God who is at work them, work in them for your good, that you might grow in your faith? That's a tough one. I feel like I, I'm recounting that verse from James over and over again, or I'm sharing it with others. And, and where I get to a place, I, I think in some ways... This is just my thinking about it as I try to pray for myself and for us as a church. I, I think this is a sign of mature believers. When you get to a place where you can count hard things as a joy. Because you, you can't make that up. You can't manufacture that joy that James is talking about. It's, it's one that God gives to us. It's when life hits really hard. It doesn't go the way you want it to go. In that moment, can you recognize the hand of God being at work in it? We're not going to really thank God for the hard situation, but we're going to thank God for being good to us in it. Number four, do you find yourself amazed at God's grace in your life? That he would send his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world. To live a perfect life in your place. And then to die a sacrificial death on the cross. To pay the full penalty for all of your sins. So that you'd be forgiven and that you would be declared righteous and have a right relationship with God. Are you amazed at this grace? Number five kind of comes off of that is, do you recognize that this same grace that God has given to you through faith in Jesus Christ is being offered to the people around you? He didn't just save you. I don't know if you know this or not, but, but he hasn't wrapped this whole thing up yet. We're still living on earth. We're not in the new heavens and the new earth yet. And so, so I think what that means is that God has, has not finished this mission yet. 
but he's working through his church who have received this good news, and he calls for us to take this good news to others. So do you recognize that God is calling you to share this grace and this good news about Jesus to the people around you? And I would say, who is that? And then lastly is this, will you trust in yourself and your own understanding Or will you lay your life down, pick up your cross, and by the grace of God, follow Jesus? You've got to answer that. We all have to answer it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Guide us and lead us in the truth. Help us to live gospel-centered lives. To be amazed at your grace. To go deeper in understanding what it really means that we might live in the good of it and then extend that to others, Lord. That we wouldn't be self-centered, self-righteous people, but Lord, you would uproot that in our lives. That we, more, we might more faithfully and joyfully follow Christ together. That we would encourage one another with these good news or with this good news. And so, Lord, would you bless us as we leave here today? Would you pour out your spirit upon us, guide us, and lead us, and protect us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being.